0: the Sports Edge program after our 8 o'clock update this Sunday morning. Ed Randall will be by talking baseball on the fan after our 9 o'clock update. I'm Bob Salter. Happy Father's Day. As a matter of fact, something reaching behind me here. This is driving me crazy. There is what must be the world's heaviest fire extinguisher is in the studio here. You know, I went to move this before when Dave was going by. And I went to pick the thing up and thought, oh! And then I'm thinking, what if we had to use this? Shouldn't this be something that's a little bit lighter in weight? Isn't that kind of the point? Anyway, just something to think about. You know, I always think about those situations where you have to respond to something in an instant. And I don't want to have to be getting help just to lift the fire extinguisher. Well, in this hour of our program, we shift in discussion. And fortunately, we do with the way that my mind works. To a discussion I've been looking forward to for some time with a guest who is joining us. She's Dr. Tracy Prout. Uh, Dr. Prout is an assistant professor of psychology at um, Furcoff Graduate School of Psychology, which is part of Yeshiva University. Uh, She teaches in the uh, School of Clinical Child Combined Doctoral Program. She also has a private practice in uh, Garrison, New York and works with children families and adults and she's going to be talking with us about a number of uh, issues that i think are very interesting and you know it's an interesting tie-in too with this being father's day uh, dr prout obviously is a um, child psychologist and um, in addition to her uh, other work and accomplishments it's got a lot to share with us in this discussion. Good morning. Welcome to our program.
1: Good morning. Thanks for taking the time to, to speak. I'm very glad to be here.
0: I think it's an interesting that we're having this discussion on Father's Day. And in the first hour of our program, we talked some about skin cancer, sun safety. But I had started off the show with listeners reflecting on this idea of Father's Day. I say those two words. What's the thought that comes to your mind?
1: Oh, gosh, it's such an important day. You know, I, I think for, for me, my mind goes in probably three different directions. One would be to my own father, Happy Father's Day, Dad, um, and just all of the investment and time and love and care he put into my own life. And then, of course, to um my husband and what an amazing loving father he is um happy father's day bernard (laughs) and then also um thinking about all the parents and fathers um that i work with in my clinical work um and maybe even more importantly the kids Um, that we see in our research program and also the kids that I work with clinically whose fathers are absent. You know, Father's Day can be a really tough day for a lot of people, um, either because they haven't had a father present in their lives or uh, perhaps because, you know, there's an inconsistent relationship with dad or maybe, you know, dad is not alive anymore. It can get pretty complicated and hard. Um, So I hear a lot about that. Um, from kids in our research program and then also in my office.
0: What is involved in the research program?
1: So, the program we have at FERCOF is based on a treatment manual that I helped co author. Um, we have a treatment approach called Regulation Focused Psychotherapy for Children, and this therapy is 16 sessions with the child and four sessions with the parents. so it's a total of 20 sessions. And our goal is really to help kids who have oppositional and disruptive behavior. So these are kids who they're getting in trouble in the classroom a lot. They're getting in trouble um, at home, not getting along with siblings. I always joke that when I drop my toddler off at, at school, Parents must look at me and go, I, I thought you were an expert in oppositional behavior. <laughs> as, as my kid is going, I don't want to go in. Or, I don't want to get in the car. So and I you know just roll my eyes a little bit. But um, the kids that we work with uh, in our research study and kids that our manual is intended to help are, are children who have really severe oppositional behavior, um, being aggressive, maybe even... You know, bullying, getting physical with other people, blaming other people for their mistakes, Um, you know, just really having a hard time maintaining even being in a classroom or being in a family. And the behavior needs to be pretty consistent for at least six months. So this is not just a, you know, temporary setback or developmental period in the child's life.
0: When you talk about, you know, these activities, this acting out in a way, Mm -hmm. I guess, on the part of these kids, how then is this approached in a way so that this doesn't develop into something that's, you know, even worse?
1: Right. Absolutely. So usually by the time families get to us, they're you know, a lot A lot of what we hear from parents is, I love my kid, but I don't like my kid right now. Mm. Um, and we kind of hear that from teachers, too. They'll say, you know, man, I can tell this kid has so much potential, but he or she is just so difficult. Um, so unfortunately, a lot of times people present for treatment, you know, pretty late uh, in the progression of the child's distress because they keep, you know, they want to do their best to help the child manage it, manage it in the home, um so sometimes families get to us when they're a little bit at their wit's end um but that's certainly not too late um we we are always glad to you know have any kind of level of difficulty present so uh the things that we do in our treatment um we really emphasize with the parents and the child that all behavior has meaning and this can be kind of a hard concept for Um, parents, and and even kids to kind of wrap their head around, but more so parents. When your kid is acting out, you feel like, oh, they're just flying off the handle for no reason, or why are they being so difficult? And what we really help uh, children and families to do is to kind of think about what is the meaning of that behavior. We understand oppositional behavior as actually a tool that the child is using to manage even more difficult emotions. So rather than having to contend with emotions like shame or guilt or longing, um, fear of separation, the child acts out, um, smashes the toy, hits his or her sibling, um, kicks the dog, runs out of the classroom and breaks something. Um, Those are the kinds of behaviors that we see what we don't see is what's happening before that or what's going on in the child's mind before they engage in that behavior. A lot of times what's going on is, oh man, this class is about to end and I don't want it to end, but I don't know how to say that. That's, that's too complicated, so I'm just going to smash this thing. Or, oh man, I have a sibling. All of a sudden I, I had mom and dad all to myself for the last five years and then this kid shows up and I'm supposed to be excited to be a big sister or a big brother? No way. <laughs> you know? mm. So our treatment really aims to help kids um, and families find the language to talk about those more difficult, complex feelings um, and have to rely less on the oppositional behavior to manage those feelings.
0: We're talking with Dr. Tracy Prout on our program on the fan this Sunday morning and talking with her about a number of uh, issues involving uh, kids. And, you know, when we talk about bullying these days, Mm. bullying has taken on, you know, many different dimensions over the years. In the past I guess it may have been something where it was more um, physical confrontation um, or, I guess, verbal uh, taunting. But now you introduce this whole element of technology into things. And I would imagine that that is kind of change the playing field of bullying in terms of how it takes place and the question that I want to pose for you as we move into our next segment of our discussion in a couple of minutes is how it is that that is playing out first of all now and then secondly with the advances in technology Is there a way to, I guess, effectively strategize and deal with bullying in an age where social media is so prevalent? On our program on Sunday mornings, we try to have a good time in discussion. And speaking of good time, after our 8 o'clock update, Rick Wolf will be along with the Sports Edge program and then, well, the fortunes change somewhat after our 9 o'clock update when Ed Randall is by Talking Baseball here on The Fan. We're in discussion with Dr. Tracy Prout, who is Assistant Professor of Psychology at uh, Furcoff Graduate School of Psychology, which is part of Yeshiva University. She teaches in the school, a clinical child combined doctoral program. And she is also in a private practice in Garrison, uh, New York. Uh, she has also mentioned the fact that um, she's involved with the regulation-focused psychotherapy for children, which is an interesting venture and is a very comprehensive website at RFP, that's the letters RFP-C.com. And there's a lot of information on that site. Before we pause for our update messages, I put a question out there uh, to you in my roundabout way of questioning (laughs) about this topic of uh, bullying. And in the age in which we live, where social media is so prevalent, how has that impacted I guess the incidents, the ways in which bullying takes place, and then how do we deal with that?
1: Bob, it's a great question. So maybe a little bit of background on bullying would be helpful. Please. Um, Bullying, excuse me, um, is really common among children. We know that among students who are in 6th to 10th grade, about 3.2 million young people report being the victims of bullying. Uh, About 15% of kids are involved in bullying, either as bullies or victims, before they get to high school. Um, Bullies tend to be popular. Um, They tend to have a lot of friends. Um, The victims tend to be uh, loners. Um, Popularity definitely decreases the chance of being bullied. Um, And bullying is also connected to physical strength, even though the type of bullying that we see now um, isn't always physical in nature. Bullying tends to begin as physical. If you think even about toddlers kind of, you know, pushing each other to get a toy, that's not exactly bullying, but that's sort of where it starts, and then as it gets older, as kids get older, it can it becomes much more relational in nature, which is where the social media component comes in, because those social media platforms like Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook, those are all about relationships, and they do provide um, kind of the perfect platform for um, kids to engage in bullying. However, so that can be a little bit overwhelming for parents because it feels like this area that's so far out of reach and, and nebulous. Um, but I would I would argue that digital parenting, being a good digital parent, is just an extension of the other types of parenting that that we do and different realms that we occupy with our kids, um, and it involves a lot of the same skills. So. It involves approaching our kids with um, a real sense of warmth and connectedness, letting them know that they can talk to their parents about anything. Um, It also is about teaching kids how to be kind, how to stand up for what's right. Um, It's really important um, to empower kids to stand up to bullying Um, The people that can have the most impact are actually those peer bystanders who are neither bullying nor the victim of bullying. Um, You want to not just stand on the sidelines. You want to stand up for what's right. Um, And that's something that parents can really work to empower their kids to do. Um, And also parents should be involved in monitoring online use. So, for example, Facebook doesn't allow kids to become members until they're 13, of course, lots of kids violate that rule, but that's something parents should know, that that, that is the rule. Um, Instagram is a platform where parents can actually have a, a lot of monitoring and kids can really curate who is able to see their account and comment on their photos. Um, parents can help their kids uh, modify their privacy settings on Facebook um, so that you know it's clear who's seeing the content. And as kids get older, it's really helpful for parents to talk with them about reputation building. You know, there are entire industries built around uh, salvaging, you know, people's reputations online, Um, and we certainly don't want our kids to to have to rely on that later. So letting them know that everything we do online is permanent, even if you delete it. There's still remnants of that out there. Um, But mostly, I think it's about just helping children know that they can talk to you um, whatever comes up, whatever comments are made, um, or things that are done. The kids that I see in my practice often present situations of bullying that sort of are mind-boggling, like, you know, oh, this person put, put up a photo, but they didn't tag me in it, and that's something that they do all the time because they, that's a way that they exclude me, simply by not tagging me. Mm-hmm. Um, So I've had to learn a lot about what is the meaning of all of this and how does Snapchat work, and parents should really be doing that too, trying to understand all the ins and outs as much as they can.
0: All right. You just went to an interesting area that I was thinking the whole time that you were answering that of. Okay, Um, for the average young person, and there's a side of me that hates phrasing it that way because I feel like Feel like I'm a thousand years old when I say <laughs> say that sort of thing. Okay, I I remember my youth. I to me it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> I, no. I, I, it really wasn't that long ago, but I guess realistically it, it it was. But you know, young people today have grasped on the technology. Listen, you know, they're doing Snapchat. They're doing all, all these different platforms in many cases simultaneously.
1: mm mm-hmm, Absolutely.
0: Uh, yet. The parents, you know, they got to jump on a learning curve here to try to start to grasp all of this. Is that really possible?
1: I think it is. I think it's a great opportunity for kids to be the instructors to their parents. and And most children are excited about that possibility. You know, they're always being taught, told what to do, how things work. This is the way you do it. And if parents have the time and the patience it doesn't even really take that much time you know 30 minutes 45 minutes maybe once every couple of weeks to sit down with their kids and say show me how this thing works how does this work I want to get on Facebook I'm going to be your friend I want to follow you on Instagram I want to get snapchats from you Um, if you only have one friend on those platforms and that friend is your kid it's not going to be a huge uh, time-consuming thing and you can have your kids show you, you know, how does this work? Oh, why did that, what, what is that picture about? Oh, wow, how did you get that picture to look that way? That's so neat. Oh, you posted that article. That's interesting. I wonder what that's about. Um, it's really an opportunity for parents to ask questions and learn more about their kids, what their kids are doing. And kids are very excited to show parents, well, this is how it works. Let me show you um so i would really take that as an opportunity to learn and have your kid be be the boss of you for a little bit
0: <laughs> well another interesting area that kids have to deal with and have to learn how to deal with is this whole idea of adversity and that mm-hmm. builds into a whole discussion about dealing with loss Mm -hmm. which many people don't like to talk about because most people don't like to think about loss Um, because a lot of people will think loss and they immediately start to leap toward the final loss of death Mm -hmm. Death, okay and we're very much of a death denying society but getting kids to learn to deal with adversity how does how does that take place
1: a lot of it has to do with, and I'm glad you said that it's it's hard for, for us to think about loss and adversity, and a lot of times adults shut down. Um, it's a really good point because the way that we help kids cope with loss and trauma is by doing it ourselves. Um, a lot of what we talk about in our psychotherapy approach has to do with emotion regulation. How do we regulate difficult and painful emotions? And this is something that we see time and time again uh, parents and children have a really hard time doing. Um, so there are a couple things I I would recommend. And, you know, this comes up a lot because of all the things that are in the news, um, you know, violence that takes place in schools and in communities, um, natural disasters, all kinds of things that we, we just hear about and are inundated by um, through the news and media um, every day. So it's inevitable that children and adolescents are going to hear about these things or encounter them in their own lives. Uh, we really recommend that, that parents be very clear in their communication. So when it is about death, you know, we don't want to say that, oh, that person went to sleep or that person went to the doctor and the doctor helped them and they're not here anymore, right? These are, gonna, these are kind of phrases that we use or they passed away. These phrases might be hard for especially young children to understand. And, you know, if we say, for example, when a pet dies, that the dog went to sleep, uh, we don't want kids to have then sleep disturbances. Um, So you want to be very direct in your communication. You know, that person died. Well, what does that mean? It means they're gone and they're not going to come back anymore. Family may have religious beliefs they want to impart also around death and different ceremonies or ways to commemorate the loss of that person that may be helpful. It's really important to put emotions into words. Um, even if it's as simple as saying, I'm sad, I'm mad, I'm frustrated, I'm confused. Um, Parents want to try and be as accepting as they can of all the emotions um, that children manifest around loss and trauma. You can think about yourself, right? Everyone's had that experience of kind of smiling awkwardly or maybe even laughing. Um, When they hear someone's died or they're at a funeral, Mm. we we all have unusual reactions to grief, and and so do kids. They're not any different in that way. Uh, We need to be very patient with young people, too. Um, Grief and loss and trauma, recovering from those things takes a long time. Um, So you want to give children the space and time they need to process those things. Even months, years later, it may come up. And we want to be careful not to tell kids, you know, you got to get over that. Let's move on. You just let them know. It's okay. Whatever you're feeling, that's something you can talk about with me. And finally, I would just say the thing that we have to be really careful about is not to make false promises to children and young people. You know, we can't guarantee that nothing bad is ever going to happen in our community or with our child. Um, what we can do, we can we can reassure kids, that these events are relatively rare and that we are doing everything in our power to keep them safe. Um, but you want to be careful not to make false promises.
0: Mm. And a lot of times the adult, whether it's a parent or in some cases a teacher, their first tendency may be to do exactly what you're, you're saying they shouldn't do.
1: Uh, Absolutely. And I think that's something we say to ourselves, you know, oh, that's never going to happen to me. Right. And so, of course, we're going to replicate that and say that to kids. But I think that's something I would really caution against.
0: We're talking with Dr. Tracy Prout on our program. Uh, she is assistant professor of psychology at Furkoff uh, Graduate School at, of Psychology, which is part of Yeshiva University. I mentioned earlier, too, she is involved with uh, regulation-focused psychotherapy for children, which has an interesting website at rfp com. There's a lot of information there on that site. You can also get information uh, through... Uh, telephone number is area code 347-719-0390. That's 347-719-0390. Uh, her research assistant is Sophia, who will answer it. That uh, number will repeat that information before we are done in our discussion this Sunday morning. I smile because, you know, during sports updates and commercials, many people would just kind of relax, maybe update on things that are, Taking place during the show. I literally went 10 floors down in this building and was down on the ground level during Dave's update and those messages. I don't have enough to do doing the show actually here on Sunday mornings. I like to try to push myself and also to have some fun. Plus, I can't believe just how foggy it is outside. I mean, earlier this morning, I was actually trying to look out the window. And then I guess I shouldn't say this, but I actually went outside on, well, actually, let's just say I didn't go outside, but I looked outside. And I was amazed at exactly how foggy it was from how far up we are uh, here, because you can't even see the Hudson River from here. And that's a little bit freaky, considering where we are in lower Manhattan, a block away from the Hudson River. Anyway, we're in discussion with Dr. Tracy Prout on our program Amazing how quickly my mind goes. Uh, Dr. Proud is assistant professor of psychology at Furkoff Graduate School of Psychology, which is part of Yeshiva University. And she's talking with us about a number of um, topics this morning in our discussion. We've touched a little bit on uh, bullying, talking about dealing with adversity, coping with uh, loss. And, you know, when we talk about uh, kids these days, we also have to talk about. The whole issue of funding of, I guess, the priority given toward the idea of health care for kids these days. Are we moving in the right direction?
1: I still can't get over the fact that you went down ten floors during that break.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I took listen, I took an elevator. I didn't do the I didn't do the stairs. Okay, okay all right. But I practiced right. this. I've said this on a year before here. All right, and this this is completely wacky. There are people in this company who do not believe that I do this, but once a month I actually do a drill of leaving this floor going to the ground floor it's a practice in case we need to do this in the event of an emergency and I'm down to under three minutes going down a certain staircase here to get to the ground outside
1: I'm glad you're prepared you're ready Um, so you this question about where are we going and are we going in the right direction is really unclear I think there's a lot we don't know um and I can certainly comment on what's been proposed so far in terms of health care cuts and changes to education policy. Um, it, before I do that, I'm going to put in one more plug. I appreciate that you plugged our phone number. But our our research study, this is for kids ages 5 to 12 who have oppositional behavior. Um, you need to be able to come to the Bronx twice a week for 10 weeks. Uh, you can call Sophia at 347-719-0390. Um, that is a that, that uh, intervention is offered at no cost to families, um, and we we don't deal with insurance or anything. We provide all of our uh, research protocols um, free as part of investigating the treatment. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the healthcare cuts and changes that are being proposed as part of the American Healthcare Act, um, it's still a little bit unclear. The the biggest change in um, the proposed bill involves changes to Medicaid funding. And this this is a little complicated. I'm going to try not to get too in the weeds on this, but um, Medicaid is the largest single source of funding for mental health treatment in the United States, and this is also true for for kids. And the goal of the AHCA, the, the revision to the ACA, is to... Give Medicaid funding priorities back to the states, um, so that each state would be able to manage their Medicaid funding in the way they they want to. What that means is it's going to depend where you live. Um, if you live in a state that wants to drastically cut Medicaid funding, um, you're going to have some serious setbacks. If you live in a state. Um, like New York, where Medicaid funding um, continues to be a priority, um, you're probably not going to see as many changes. Um, The American... Uh, American, uh, sorry, Affordable Care Act, <laughs> otherwise known as Obamacare, um, did something that helped expand mental health coverage beyond the Medicaid issue. It helped uh, reinforce what's called mental health parity, which means your your health provider couldn't say, yeah, you could have unlimited visits for your physical health, but for your mental health, you can only have ten visits a year. That that was not um, mental health parity. And the ACA helped reinforce the fact that insurers could not limit mental health visits if they weren't going to limit physical visits. Um, Probably that's going to change and be uh, drastically cut under the, the new proposed bill if it passes. The other changes that are a little bit concerning are things that are coming from Uh, the Education Department, Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos. And again, we don't have so much clarity there, but we do know um, from her testimony in her confirmation hearings that she basically said that the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, um, which is a really important uh, act for children with disabilities, it's been in place for more than four decades. um, She argued that that Should be determined by the states, which is extremely concerning. Um, It's a federal protection uh, so that we have equitable education opportunities for kids across the country, as opposed to if it were state-run, it would just depend where you lived. You could live in a state where you wouldn't have access to good special education um, services or accommodations. And if you happen to live in a state where that coverage was protected, you'd be okay. Um, the other issue has to do with school vouchers. That's a really complicated topic. Um, the idea behind school vouchers is that families should have greater access to school options, um, which you think would be good, but the devil's really in the details. This is going to allow families to choose private schools um, where they might not otherwise be able to attend. However, private schools, while they can't discriminate against children with disabilities, they are not required to provide special education services to children who need them. And that's a huge problem. So if the cost of having, say, one-to-one reading instruction for a child exceeds what the voucher covers, parents are going to need to foot that bill themselves. And this could present really serious problems for kids with special education needs.
0: Mm. I mean, it's a very complex uh, situation, to say the least. Um, What... Can um, parents, guardians do to, I guess, kind of... Is there a way that they can work with teachers to support kids who have, let's say, challenges with mental health?
1: Absolutely. So most kids who, you know, currently... Kids are protected by the IDEA, that's the Disabilities Education Act, um, and they're they're protected by all the federal laws and regulations that that are in place. We just hope those don't change. And those laws protect and enable parents to have greater access to their children's records and to their children's um, teachers and providers. So most kids who have behavioral issues or psychiatric issues or some other type of special education need, they have what's called an IEP, that's an Individualized Education Plan, and that's developed um, with whoever evaluated the child, with the parents, with the teachers, um, so that the child has specific accommodations. Maybe they need a smaller classroom, maybe they need uh, more individualized attention. Maybe they need special instruction. And those those would all be outlined in the IEP. And kids who have an IEP um, should have regular meetings. Um, the parents should have regular meetings with the teachers. Uh, and these are scheduled by the Board of Education um, and the school itself. Parents. Sometimes run into problems in these meetings if they either they're not able to communicate effectively what they need and want for their child, or they're having some kind of conflict with the school um, or the providers. And there are parent advocates available um, to go to those meetings uh, with families. Those are typically volunteer positions within a school um, or within a uh, education department. That's one option. Um, there are also um, Education attorneys um, who can be hired to help advocate on behalf of of children. Um, There are quite a few of those firms in the city. Of course, that costs money. So, um, you know, it may depend on what the family's resources are.
0: When we talked earlier in this discussion, we began the discussion, I asked you about Father's Day, what that meant to you. And you referenced the idea of kids whose fathers are absent. And I jotted that down Mm -hmm. because I wanted to come back to that in this discussion. What, I guess, as a society, do you feel that we can do to... Support those kids,
1: yeah, there are some programs in place, um, certainly programs like Big Sisters, Big Brothers um, that that's a great um, program that helps support kids. I actually just saw uh, we were talking about social media. I just saw a picture on social media recently of a friend of mine who's been mentoring a kid. Uh, I guess since since he was five or six, and there 's a picture of them at, at this child 's uh, high school graduation they 've had this wonderful guy to guy mentorship relationship um, for you know over ten years um, so certainly th- those are good options. Um, I think anytime there 's a single parent household and so much of the burden falls on one parent and more often than not it 's the mother, but not always. Um, It's really important for friends and family um, to be involved in in that child's life to provide uh, role models um, for the child and to provide respite and relief for the single parent. Um, You know, they say it it takes a village uh, to raise a child and that's certainly true and I think even more true uh, in a single parent household. I think coaches and teachers and aftercare, uh, after school care providers, all of those folks play an even more important role in the life of the child um, when there isn't uh, a stable family unit um, for the child to turn to. That said, I also think I have met so many phenomenal single parents who are just, you know, blow me away with their ability to care for and love and support their children. So I definitely don't want to imply that that's not possible, but I think it, it behooves all of us to, to support and, and mentor um, kids who, who are struggling as much as we can.
0: And how important are those extracurricular activities? And I'd be remiss if I didn't include sports in the mm-hmm. two here on The Fan. Absolutely. Uh, how, how important are those in the development of these kids and also, I guess, in, in supporting their growth?
1: Yeah, they are critical. And I think, you know, it's actually not as important, you know, what sport it is or what activity it is. What's more important is that it is a warm, supportive, and fun environment. For the child. So, you know, if your kid wants to play basketball and that coach is, you know, just an incredible, encouraging uh, person who's excited and interested in the individual players on the team, that's fantastic. Um, If your kid's going out for another sport and that coach is punitive and harsh and, you know, just 100% focused on winning at all costs, that's not going to be good for your kid's development, right? So you really want to just make sure that the environment is the, is the kind that you want your kid in. Um, and, you know, we know that engagement in sports and other physical activities is, is great for kids. It's great for cognitive development, for staving off obesity and um, diabetes and other health complications. It's great for building teamwork skills and even addressing some of the things that we talked about um, Today you know bullying and and helping kids know how to be part of a team, um, how to take turns being the leader and the follower all of those things are really important in their growth and development
0: and the whole idea of keeping in perspective the activities that they're involved in too is very important.
1: Absolutely. It's a great opportunity to practice
0: losing. Believe me, that'll happen in life. Definitely you'll be losing. (laughs) Certainly. Uh, Dr. Tracy Prout, who is Assistant Professor of Psychology at Furcoff Graduate School at... of psychology is just part of yeshiva university talking with us on our program on the fan this sunday morning we mentioned the regulation focused psychotherapy for children rfp-c.com the website and the study research study that uh, Dr. Prout mentioned you can get information by calling Sophia at 347 719 0390. That's 347 719 0390. Thank you very much for joining us on our program. Oh,
1: thanks so much for the opportunity. Great to speak with you and your listeners.
0: Certainly good luck too with your efforts. A happy Father's Day to Rick Wolf, who is standing by, and everyone else this Sunday morning. Long after our eight o'clock update is the sports edge. And after our nine o'clock update, well, let's just say things change a bit. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.